It's great to be with you this morning as we continue working through the book of Romans together. Hopefully you've enjoyed this as much as I have. We're going to be taking it, just slowing down a little bit this week and taking a breath. The last couple of weeks we've tackled some pretty big sections of Scripture. This week we're in Romans 12 and we're just looking at verses 1 and 2. There's so much good uh, truth in those couple verses, I thought it would be appropriate to spend some time uh, digesting uh, that a bit. So if you wouldn't mind turning with your Bibles there now, I'm going to just start by reading them. If you're looking to the Bible on the, the chair in front of, you, front of you, it's in page 947. I'll read with you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we've uh, discussed over the last month, we've discussed a lot about God's salvation plan for man, and we've been using uh, relational terms to help us understand, uh, terms like the t- describing a, a bride and uh, the husband and, and what that looks like in that it's a, a covenant relationship and that it's an invitation into relationship. We've used a, a lot of terms to describe it relationally, and even thinking about this morning's text and relationships, I wonder how many of us have been in a relationship where you feel like that relationship is strictly one-sided, Where you're like, man, there's a whole lot of giving, but not a whole lot of receiving. You see, a healthy relationship is designed to be a two-sided relationship where there's giving and receiving on both sides of the relationship. I was trying to think of examples of uh, unhealthy balances in in my life where there's a lot of of taking, but not really a lot of giving. And I was thinking, you know, you know what's a great example of that? Babies. You know, babies are a really good example of a whole lot of taking and a whole not, not, not a whole lot of, of giving. You think about a, a baby and what do they, they, they want this, they want that, they want milk, they want their nap. And, and what do they do when they don't get it? Uh, they're crying and moaning and complaining. And you see that balance in a relationship obviously is a, a silly example. But a lot of us can come to mind with tangible ones that you've experienced where you're like, man, I poured into that relationship, but there was nothing given back. I kept pouring into it and nothing given back. In order for a relationship to survive, there needs to be a healthy balance. You see, a marriage grows stale when it's one-sided, and the truth is that carries into the spiritual world as well. When it's all God-giving and just us receiving, it gets old really fast. It gets old really fast. In fact, often we ask the question, we say, I want more of God. You got to wonder if God's up in heaven saying, huh, that's funny, because I'm pretty sure I gave my all. Maybe the better question is, I want more. The better statement is, I want more of you. I want more of you. And that's what we're going to see in this text this morning is the, the, the healthy balance of there's when he sacrificed for us, our natural response is to sacrifice for him. Let me pray before we dive in. Dear Lord, thanks so much for this chance to be together and worship you this morning to proclaim your worth already. It's sweet to be in your house. May we never take that for granted. But God, I ask now that as we break down these couple of verses that you'd speak to us, That this message wouldn't be for the person down the row from us, that it'd be you calling us into a healthy, balanced relationship. We've received so much, God. Your mercies are 
uncountable. God, I pray that we'd respond appropriately to that, that you'd speak to us directly here this morning. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So he, in Romans 12, defines a little bit more clearly what a healthy relationship looks like in the spiritual sense. He starts with the basis for our sacrifice. The basis for our sacrifice. Look at that first statement. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He starts with the word appeal, and an appeal is a, a heartfelt request. We use that, that word pretty often when we're asking for something. It was something that Paul used often in his letters. In fact, in Philemon 1, 8 through 9, we see a little bit of the rationale behind an appeal. He says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I prefer to appeal to you. I, I find that interesting that he's, he's saying, because of love, in other words, I'm not going to throw around the weight of me being an apostle and saying, you have to do this. I'm going to do what God tends to do in relationships, saying, I want it to be a healthy balance where you do this out of your desire and a response to what I've done. I don't know how many of you are in uh, work settings where your boss has you do something and usually when they're asking you to do something it's less of an ask and more of a I need you to dot 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 I need you right now by five o'clock to how many of you are in work relationships like that where you hear a lot of I need you to Josh you can't raise your hand (laughs) that's my high school pastor here (laughs) So uh, the healthy environment, the healthy environment, wow, would be more based on would you mind doing this? Would you mind? A lot of us are in healthy work environments, unlike ABF, where the, the, the boss asks and says, would you mind doing this? Or could I ask this of you? You see, those are the differences, and that's what Paul's doing. He's saying in the context of a love relationship, I'm appealing for you to do this. And what is he, what is he, he appealing? You see the, the, the motivation that he points to. He even continues with the term brothers to kind of keep the same tone of, of, of relationship rather than authority. But if you think about that, the term brothers is because the only way that this request is possible is that they have to be a brother. In other words, they must have embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in order for this whole idea that's going to be unpacked here of being a living sacrifice to be even possible. We learned in Romans 8.8 just a few weeks back that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, you have to have a justified, you have to be justified before God before you can start to live for Him. And so that's a precursor to this passage is being brothers and sisters in Christ before we can start to live for Him. That motivation needs to be in place. So you see the motivation there is, it says, therefore, and whenever you read that in Scripture, you know you want to see what that's there for. And you think about what was just previously said, from him and through him and to him are all things. So they just didn't recognize, Paul just recognized the magnitude of God and that anything and everything that we get comes from him. So that's the, the precursor to this. And then he points to the, by the mercies of God. It's a pretty unexhaustible list, this idea that if you're going to think through, we could put up a whiteboard up here and start listing one by after another. All the mercies that we've experienced from God, they're countless. 
thinking of even the breath that sustains you. In him we live and move and have our being. It's all from him. The mercy is probably most specifically would be the mercy that we've seen through the work on the cross that's been extended to us, forgiveness, and our eternities redirected. But here he lists that as, as the compelling agent is that we're moved to give ourselves as a living sacrifice because of what has been done for us. So what are we compelled to? You look in the second part of the verse. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Start with the word present. Present would have been something they're familiar with is the idea from their sacrificial system of laying something on an altar, laying something before, and you f- figure out whether it's presentable, you bring that and you lay it forward. And this similar idea with an offering is that it's something that's given and not taken. Something that's given and not taken. Imagine if when we were collecting an offering this morning, I had uh, hired a few bigger guys at the end of each row to start going down the row and say, all right, let's get digging there a little deeper. That's all you're going to give this morning? Really? You know, like how, off, how quickly would you be done with this church? You'd be like, you'd be like no, no thanks, because an offering is given, it's not taken. It's, it's given and it's not taken. The same is true with our, our response to what God has done for us. It's not something that, that he's going to dra- drag out of us. He's going to say, that's what, what makes sense, but it's not something that's taken. So a present laid on the altar. And what does it say that we're to present? It says, your bodies, your bodies. So in other words, God has already through salvation our inner man, but he also wants our outer man. Or woman. He doesn't just want the inside, he wants all of us. I like the story of a, about a, a pig and a chicken walking down the road. Every good story should start like that. As they walked along, they read a sign advertising a breakfast to benefit the poor. The chicken said to the pig, You and I should donate a ham and egg breakfast. <laughs> the pig replied, Not so fast. For you, it would just be a contribution, but for me, it would be a total commitment. You see the the difference there? The egg could just give that as a, I'm going to give this portion. That's a little bit of the the picture here. It's It's the whole thing. He wants all of it, not just part of it. That's what a living sacrifice is it. But why? Why would he, why would he, you ever wonder that when you're reading that? Why would he want our bodies? You know, anybody else feeling like they're breaking down? There's a little less hair here, a little more on the back, you know? Like, what, why, why, why would he, why would he want that? Why, why would he want this broken body to be, to be taken? Like, what would he, what does he want to do with that? The truth is, our bodies are not useless, although they might feel like it sometimes. Our body is how your soul interacts with the world around us. Your body is how your soul interacts. You see, what Paul understood is under God's control, even unredeemed bodies can be used in a powerful way when they're controlled by the Holy Spirit. So we're to offer it, what does it say, as a living sacrifice. It's interesting because you think of a living sacrifice, you think of that's something ongoing. It's not a, a one-time event. I like the, the, the quote that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. You may have heard that before, and that's kind of the, the problem with us. Is it's not just a, a one-time occasion with something that we're committed to on an ongoing practice. That's why Paul describes, he says, about dying every day in 1 Corinthians 15. 
living sacrifice seems like a, a contradiction. Usually you associate with a sacrifice, something needs to die, right? And you're like, well, what about a living sacrifice? That seems, seems like a, even just a weird statement in and of itself. But you see, because of Jesus' work on the cross, he's already covered, the, the etern- he's covered our eternity by dying for us on the cross. But there's still something that needs to die within us. And what is that? What needs to die in each of us is the idea that you have a right to live the way you choose. That's what needs to die in each one of us. It's our will that needs to die. The idea that you get to do whatever, whenever you want, that's part of the Christian life. And there couldn't be something that's more counter-cultural to the world that we live in couldn't be more countercultural. Think about our world. Does it say like, yeah, you should, should sacrifice and give up your, your will and your, your desires and your plans to someone else? Like, no. That's exactly the opposite of the, the world and the message that it's sending to us. But that's what's required of us. That's what's asked. But the truth is, is I don't think we understand sacrifice because we usually associate with sacrifice giving up something you really love to be left kind of miserable and left like, oh man, that's kind of a bummer. I, I think for my, my wife and I have been slowing down or trying to slow down on carbs and desserts. Anybody else find those to be? But you're like, that leaves me kind of grumpy and kind of irritable, you know? Like, a, like I, don't, I don't like giving up those things. Like that, that doesn't seem to, to make sense because it just leaves you. You're like, man, I, I miss the chocolate chip cookies, you know? Like I miss the pasta and, 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 and all that good stuff. But here's the, the truth of what this sacrifice is, is it's giving up something that you might have, may have liked, but it's giving up something for something better, as if there were something better than chocolate chip cookies. It's, here's a better analogy. It's like giving up vegetables for chocolate chip cookies. Like that's something we can get behind. Any amens there? Like, like I, I support that idea. This is the picture that, that he's painting there. It, when we understand, yes, it's a sacrifice, but it's a, an amazing sacrifice. It's a death that leads to real life. And here's the other thing that I think we're confused about sacrifice is I think we have this confusion thinking that we're, that we're currently free and that we're not underneath the, the rule of something else. But the truth is, we're not free. We're all sacrificing to something. We're all sacrificing to something. Think through what you're, if you're, if you're real honest with yourself, what do you sacrifice to? What gets your attention and your focus? So he's saying, man, get it in line with the right thing to sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Love as he further explains that, because I think worship, we usually associate worship with what? Singing. That's normally what we think. You know, you think when I say worship, you're like, yeah, that's the 20 minutes on Sunday morning. And, and maybe if there's a good song that comes on K-Love or whatever, like that's the uh, air one, like that, that's worship. But, but here he's redefining what worship is. Worship's more than a song. It's a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. It's a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. Going back to relational terms, imagine if with my wife, I'm consistently telling her how much I love her, how great she is, how fantastic she is, which I do often. Uh, but, but if I was constantly saying all of those things and never really doing a whole lot, you'd start. what would happen to those words? 
those songs, well, they'd start to feel kind of empty and stale. You'd be like, like oh, man, you, you say it, but I want to see it. You, you don't just sit. Like, otherwise, that's an unhealthy balance. And so the same is true with us when we think in terms of worship, making sure that we're clear on what worship is. He defines it right here. That's holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So sacrifice is worship, but not just any sacrifice. He wants it to be holy and acceptable. The word holy, we typically associate with being set apart. So for us to be holy, although each of us knows we're far from perfect, but that's still set apart from former allegiances. He describes in the second part to being acceptable to God. Like how Acts 10.35 describes what is acceptable. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Again, pointing back to our actions. In other words, saying, yes, God, I'm showing up and I'm the sacrifice, not a perfect one, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm a little different than I was yesterday. I'm a whole lot different than I was two weeks ago. I, you wouldn't even recognize me five years ago. You see, a sacrifice, there needs to be change in process. That's what's holy and acceptable to God. It's interesting, the word spiritual there, I was looking that up, spiritual worship. It's actually not, it's not used in a typical sense here. It's the word logikos, where we get the word logic or logical. In other words, it can also be uh, translated into reasonable. So he's pointing out saying, this in light of the gospel, this is the reasonable act. Sacrifice is only reasonable or logical worship to God. It only makes sense when we understand the expanse of what's been done on our behalf. But he describes, so a lot of us, we, we hear that and we're like, all right, that sounds good. Yeah, I get it, Pastor. Like, I'm, I'm in. Like, I want to live a sacrificial life. And that sounds good in church words. But what does that actually look like? Where do, where do I actually start? Verse 2 is so practical. It says, this is how you start. It starts with your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind. The word conform is similar to the word camouflage, where the hope is not to be seen or draw attention to, hoping to blend in with one's environment. That's the idea of conformity. And conform, the, the idea of being camouflaged works well in, in a hunting game, but not really in our walks with Christ. Well, actually, not always in hunting. I'll tell a quick story. I couldn't remember if I told this. My grandfather was kind of a, a man's man and enjoyed some hunting and fishing, and he was out going uh, pheasant hunting. And he had a particular hat that he liked to wear that, was, that he said that he was more successful when he wore this hat. But it was peppered with a whole bunch of feathers on it. He's meeting with his buddies and about to go out pheasant hunting. And, and they're, they're, just, they're just like, listen, that, that's probably not a good idea to wear that hat because your head looks a lot like a pheasant. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's like, oh, it's going to be fine. So he goes out with his friends hunting and, and so what you're doing when you're, you're hunting for pheasant, you're waiting for any movement in the brush. Well, my grandfather thought he saw something, so he made a quick move. Well, guess what? The other hunters saw his melon and thought it was a pheasant. 
my grandfather, you're not sure how this story is going to end, got sprayed with the, all the pellets and has surgery after surgery to get them all removed. They never got them all out. It was never quite the same after that hunting experience. But a fun guy. But what he learned, <laughs> what, he, what he learned is camouflage, maybe this doesn't really tie in, do, do, doesn't always work. And similarly for us in uh, trying to fit into the world around us, logically, we say to ourselves, you know what? It's going to be easier if we just kind of blend in. You know, there's not much, uh, no one's going to notice. Then we, can, then we can be more effective when we look just like the world around us. But the problem is that here in the text, it's saying, no, that, that's not how it works. We're not to be conformed. Well, to, to what? Not conformed to the world. Not conformed to the world. Why not? 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one because we're behind enemy lines. We, we have, there, there's two competing kingdoms and they have opposing views and opposing leadership. You can't, you can't be in one. Anybody else felt the weight of that where you've tried to do the Christian life kind of halfway and kind of partially in? doesn't seem to work very well, does it? It's kind of that, that, that casual, partial thing doesn't, doesn't seem to, to mesh well. And so instead of trying to, to, to blend into these opposing kingdoms, he's telling us to be transformed. These opposing kingdoms have different ideologies. I was corresponding with Bill Berry from our church this week about this message, and I was thinking about, man, there are a lot of things from this world that are opposing. He, he did a quick summary of some. I thought they were uh, interesting. So some different ways that the, our, our world's views oppose God's kingdom views. I'll read it through them briefly. In God's kingdom, God determines right and wrong versus this kingdom, we determine right and wrong. In God's kingdom, money is trust that God allows me to manage Versus this kingdom, money is mine and used as a scorecard and a security blanket. In God's kingdom, marriage is a lifetime covenant that reflects Christ's relationship to his church. Here, marriage for my, is for my personal fulfillment to be abandoned if I'm not fulfilled. God's kingdom, I can store up treasures in heaven. In this kingdom, I need to get everything I can out of this world because this is all there is. In God's kingdom, Jesus is the master of my soul. This kingdom, I'm the master of my soul. In God's kingdom, I fight for justice for the poor and disenfranchised because God is just and cares for the poor. Versus this kingdom, I get involved with social, social justice because it makes me feel better. In God's kingdom, sex creates a spiritual oneness between a man and a woman that is designed to be permanent. Versus this world, sex is for my pleasure and is no big deal. God's kingdom work is a blessing from God where I can meet the needs of others versus here it's a necessary evil that allows me to live the way I please. God's kingdom, the first will be last. Here, the first will be first. God's kingdom, a humble, exalted. This kingdom, the talented, beautiful, and rich will be exalted. God's kingdom, I'm called to serve. This kingdom I'm expected, I expect to be served. You see, there's two different worlds that are, that, that are war. There's a, a huge tension before, and he's saying, don't be conformed. There's a strong, strong pull that direction. You have to intentionally resist conformity. My question to us, are we intentionally 
resisting conformity. There's a unique, unique character that's pointed to in the, the New Testament. Usually, you know, in the, the different letters that Paul writes, he uh, typically mentions a few different believers' names and when he's saying when he's wrapping up the letter or starting in the initial greeting. And in some of those letters, he mentions a, a man by the name of Demas. He mentions he's just kind of mentioned as one of the, the believers that are in the list. But one of uh, his, his later letters find it, find it interesting because in 2 Timothy he describes 4.10, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Find that interesting. This man that was amongst the list of believers is saying, because he was in love with this present world, he's abandoned. He's left. He's, he's gone. And how often is that the picture of those that are enticed to be conformed to this world? The alternative is presented there. It says, but instead of that, instead of being conformed, be transformed. And you're familiar with that, for, that form of that word, metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis. And what comes to mind with a metamorphosis, the idea of a, a butterfly, something that's started by crawling around on the ground, being transformed from the, the inside out, becoming a beautiful butterfly. It's a picture we're f- very familiar with. But that's the picture that he, point, that he paints for us. And he describes how that transformation happens. It says, by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. You see, transformation of the mind is foundational for any real lasting change. If your thinking doesn't change, then it's just behavior modification. If there's not a change in the way you see things, what is the point? It's just temporary and short. So he's saying, listen, you have to change how how you see things, the lens in which you view things, because why? Our minds can't be trusted. You're like, what are you saying there, Pastor? What do you mean our, our minds? Our minds lie to us. Did you know that? Your minds lie to you on a regular basis, and it's typically because it's been conformed to this world. I'll give you an example. I was recommended from a, uh, a friend, actually my sister, to see this movie called Salmon Fishing in Yemen. Am I saying that right? Is that the right? Yemen. Yemen. I knew I was wrong. Uh, my mind lied to me. Uh, so, so, so here, I was, I was watching this movie, and the, the whole idea of this movie, it starts out, and you've probably seen, if you haven't seen this one, which is, was random, uh, most people haven't, um, but you've probably seen a movie like this. They start by painting the picture of a marriage, and you start seeing this marriage, and you're like, oh, this is such a, a crummy marriage. They're just cohabitating. They're just get, barely getting along. You can see they're clearly miserable. Like they've, they've grown far apart a long time ago. And then the, the movie introduces you to this wonderful new woman. And she is so fun and dynamic and adventurous and attractive. And before you know it, you're sucked into this movie and you start like, yeah, man, that, that old marriage was terrible. Look how beautiful this new relationship was. But then you pause and you think and you're like, wait a second. Isn't that being conformed to this world? What's the world views? You know what? If something's, if marriage stinks, if it's, it's not till death do us part, it's till boredom does us part. You know, like, like you, you start saying like, oh, look at that. Look at the new adventure there and how awesome that would be. Like, clearly those two are wrong for each other. These two are match made in. Wait a second. 
That's what happens before we, we realize it. It needs to be God's word that's reformed that says, no, marriage, God hates divorce. He literally says that. And then he, says, then he goes on to, to teach and prescribe that, that marriage is worth fighting for. And you start watching the, that, that film through those lens, and I start cheering for the old relationship. I'm like, come on, it's not beyond repair. You can fix this. You need a few good date nights out. You need to reprioritize. You need to value this. You need to invest in this. Do you see the difference when your mind is conformed to the world versus being transformed by God's word? Because God's word says things very different to what this world says. But the problem is that a debased mind doesn't think it's debased. The problem is we, we have to regularly remind ourselves, I don't naturally think right. Say that to your neighbor right now. I don't naturally think right. That's right. We don't naturally think right. We have to be, we, we, we come out of the, the factory, the, our, the package comes out broken, like it's, a, it's something that should be sent back, but we're stuck with it. It's broken, and so we have to reprogram it. It needs to be transformed to think correctly. A renewed mind is saturated with God's word and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Describes another clue in the next section of how this living sacrifice thing works. It says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I found that interesting as I was studying that this week, this idea of constant testing, that that's to be a part of a, a, a believer's experience here, is that there needs to be a testing process that happens, that you need to regularly be going through and weighing things and testing them to see if they're of God or if, or if they're of man. Do you remember Jesus' last words in the, in, in the, the garden when he's like, oh, not, not my will, but whose? But your will be done. Asking that question, well, my will is to do this, but what is God's will in this? How do I know? How do I know? I know it's in, in His Word. The other key component to that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you, the, the, the better we get at listening to Him, He wants to nudge us and direct us all the time. He wants to say, no, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't respond like that. Don't hold on to that. He, he's the one that's doing that if we learn to listen to him. That's the process of testing. You're like, oh, what's the, what's the testing that we're supposed to do? Well, it's actually right there. The God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. What if we started running the things through that filter? Well, good is the same word that I used to describe creation back in Genesis. Acceptable means without blemish. Perfect means complete. So you're starting to weigh the, the different things and decisions that you have. Well, what's acceptable? What's, what's good? Man, how many things wouldn't make it through that filter alone, right? See, this is what God wants us. He wants us to be actively testing. Is this his will or is this not? And it doesn't come, sometimes it comes easily, and sometimes, you know what, that's where brothers and sisters are coming along to, alongside of each other. Man, I'm wrestling through this. I'm really seeking. I don't want to just do it because I want to do it. I want to do it because God wants it to happen. That's what he calls us to. And he's saying, and here's the thing to understand. I started with this this morning is that this isn't designed to just be about like, okay, the more moral people that do the right things. This is all to do with him wanting every aspect of us because he has a better plan than we do. He doesn't just want part of us. 
He wants the whole thing, not just part of us, the whole thing. When I was, uh, my kids were younger, actually, they still enjoy, they, they love to, to wrestle on the bed with dad. Anybody remember that era with kids? Some of you are still in the thick of it, and they'd always want to go at it, and like they want a shot at the title, and you kind of pretend, uh, they kind of pretend like they had any chance. But, um, but my, my son in particular was always wanted to keep on going. Here's uh, Chase when he was little. And, uh, and, oh, there he is. And, uh, and, and there, and we'd wrestle all the time. And I kind of got in the habit, you get uh, in some routines of saying some things. And I'd always say to Chase, going into the wrestling, I'd say, all right, Chase, you want a piece of me? And, uh, and that was kind of the routine. Yeah, I want a piece of me. Well, one time when he was four years old, I'd said it so often, uh, so often to him. I'm like, Chase, you want a piece of me? And his response blew me away. He goes, nope, I want the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I was like, let's get it on. And, uh, and, and, so, and so I was thinking about that, about that statement as it relates to our God and what he wants in relationship with us. He doesn't want just a piece of us. A lot of us think of it in those terms, like, well, what part am I willing to submit to him? Which part am I, which, what's part of this living sacrifice? I'll, I guess I'm willing to give that part up. But he's like, no, that's not what I want. I want the whole thing. I want the whole thing. That's what he's calling us to. You think about it, though, for a moment, and you're thinking, you're like, well, that seems kind of excessive, doesn't it? He wants a, what do you mean you want the whole thing? The entire sacrifice? You, you want me to sacrifice all of this? You want, want all of it? He's like, yeah, that's, that's what I did for you. Remember? He's the living sacrifice. He was the living sacrifice that was crushed on our behalf. He was the living sacrifice that was broken on a cruel Roman cross. And so he's saying the natural response is to give back. That's how a, a healthy relationship, there's a, a give and there's a take. There's a, there's, a mutual, uh, there's a mutual act. And so that's what he's saying. That's the part. But for some of us, I wanted to give an opportunity this morning. I felt convicted about this recently, and we'll close, close with this. We've talked so much about salvation over the last couple months, and this whole picture, and we've used different relational pictures, often describing it kind of like a, a marriage covenant where the proposal is there. You've heard me talk about that before. That, that invitation is extended, and a lot of people, if you're going to stay with that theme, a lot of people have, have dated God for quite a while. They've they, they've, they've been checking him out. They enjoy his company. They really like spending time with him. But they can't really point to a time where they've gone before a group of people, like marriage, and said, I do. I'm in. Like, I count me in. Like, this whole thing, this whole, this whole thing with Jesus on the cross and the work that he's done for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm not just attracted to it as an idea. I want to personally embrace it myself. If you can't point to a time when that's happened, then, man, I, I, I'm not God, and thankfully I don't play that role. But if you can't think of a time when it's happened, there's a strong chance it hasn't happened. So this morning, and we're going to start doing this as a church, usually the end of the month, I'm going to provide the, the opportunity. So I'm going to give you the opportunity, even in these moments, we're going to create a little bit of an awkward silence here, where you guys, and some churches say this, and it, it was always confusing to me, say, with, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, raise your hand, and instead, I'm going to say, with your eyes open and your heads up, because that's what a commitment is. When you're in a marriage ceremony, do you see anybody bowing their heads? Like, no, they're, they're, everybody's cheering them on and, and celebrating. That's what this is. 
So instead of that, I'm going to say, stand up and say, I'm in. Stand up and say, I'm in. And so for somebody that's been wrestling with this for a while, you've been intrigued by it, you've maybe had some questions, you've, you, but you're like, man, every question I have keeps on getting more answered, but you've never can't, you're, you can't point to a time where you've crossed that line, where you've embraced Jesus' death as payment for your sins. This is an opportunity for you to do that. In this moment right now, to just stand up and say, I'm in. I'm in. Is there anybody that wants to make that choice? Make that decision here this morning? Everybody's like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. Is anybody going to stand? He's in. That's awesome. That's awesome. Praise God. That's so encouraging. Is there anybody else that wants to stand up and say, I'm in? I'm in. No more standing on the sidelines. No more wrestling through it. No more, well, I'm weighing this decision. Who's going to say, I'm in? Is there anybody else? I want to just close our, our time with a, a word of prayer. And this is the prayer that uh, Melinda's praying here this morning is, is making the prayer to say, I, I'm in, I'm fully following. There's no turning back. I'm not staying on the fence anymore. I'm not wrestling through this. This is, this, this is for real. This is a deal that redirects eternities. There's a lot going on here. Let me just pray, and, and, and anybody, and here's the, the nice thing. If you're like, man, I was kind of scared to stand up. That's okay. You can come and talk to us afterwards. That can be something that we can wrestle through together. Does it, the, the, the wonderful thing about God's invitation is that that invitation is on the table at any point. You can call out to him in the, the, any moment. You can say, God, I want this. I want you to be the, the leader of my life. I embrace, I believe in you. I believe what you did for me on the cross. Let me pray just as we wrap up. God, in this moment, for those that are wrestling through that, it's just with a simple call out to you, a moment in time where we say, God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I've fallen short of your perfect standard, but I accept your intervention on my behalf. You came down. You lived the perfect life. You died as a sacrifice for my sin. You had victory over death and were raised again on the third day. I believe that. I believe that in this moment. I embrace you. I want to make you Lord of my life. I know that's not going to be an easy process, but I know I'm not going to be alone in that. That's what we're called to. That's what we're invited to. It's the best choice we could ever, ever make. And eternity hinges on that. I pray for anyone that's still wrestling through that. I pray that you would pursue them, that you'd chase them, that you'd make yourself irresistible like you are. We praise you in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A lyric caught my attention in that song, your love has won. You're like, wait a second, what am I, what am I fighting against? Why would I fight against someone that loves me enough to die for me? Like, how crazy is that? Why wouldn't someone embrace that? I'll tell you what, it's exciting to see Melinda's choice this morning. And anyone that wants to come and chat about it following the service, we'd love the opportunity to do that. Otherwise, I pray you have a wonderful week in the Lord as a living sacrifice. God bless you.